this morning, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. I want to talk to you about how to love God, not as an expert on it. I don't know that there are any experts on it, but because of the difficulty of it. I mean, it's given to us in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you're to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's a confession that every uh, Jewish person is taught to say the first words out of their mouth every day in the morning when they wake up. You're to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it was asked of Jesus in Matthew 22, what, as you look at the Old Testament, what is the single most important commandment in the Old Testament? And Jesus said, Matthew 22, verse 38, the first and the greatest commandment is this, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, mind, and strength. So this is not a small issue, but it's a difficult issue. Because how do you do that? And remember, uh, you know, one of the most quoted verses is Romans eight twenty eight: All things work together for good. Right? But what's the rest of it? To them that love God. Amen. Let's not forget that. So if we want to claim that promise, we need to see, how do I love God? What is this? So turn in your Bibles to uh, a section of Luke chapter 7. There's actually three miracles in Luke chapter 7 with a little aside on John the Baptist. We're going to look at the third one. And it has to do with the uh, woman who hears that Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee and having supper. And in those days, you, you didn't sit at a table like in a chair, but you would recline almost like this, with, and then the other person would recline, and you would do it around a table which was low on the floor, and you would Put your hand here and eat with this hand. And so Jesus' feet are extended outward. And a woman hears that he's going to be there. And she comes in to the house with others, I'm sure, surrounding and crowded in around this, this group and his host, the Pharisee, Simon. And as she stands behind Jesus, it says her tears, verse 38... Because his feet are extended, her tears began to flow, and it was so much that it wet his feet. And so she knelt down and began to wipe his feet off with her hair. Now, I mean, even in that day, that would have been a little awkward. You know, this is like... I think everybody would have stopped eating. 
and said, what is this woman doing here? And plus, if you put there that, verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner. And that throws a little light on it too. And she doesn't have a name. She's just known in the city as a sinner. It's also said of her, the Pharisee said if he was a prophet, if Jesus was a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is. See, she's known in the city. So here's this situation where a woman is kneeling down at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet, and then it says... um, in verse 38, standing behind him, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. I just think this is a little attention getter here. I mean, this, is, this kind of makes you pause and say, what's going on here? The Pharisee, seeing this, understood this was a little tense situation. And Jesus turns to him and says, uh, this starts in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. He doesn't stop the woman. Uh, The Pharisee said, say it, teacher. And verse 41, a a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's about two, uh, it's about a year. A year and a half wages. So, if you if you make twenty thousand a year, twenty five thousand a year, that's forty thousand dollars, pretty close in our in our money. And this guy owes. Jesus said, "Here's a guy who owed someone forty thousand dollars." Now another guy. This is in verse forty two, or verse forty one. Said one owed him five hundred, and the other fifty. So that's Ten percent of that, four or five thousand dollars. Verse forty-two: They could not pay. Neither one of them had the resources to help with this debt. But the the money lender, it says, verse forty-two, canceled the debt. One translation says he forgave the debt. The Greek word "cancel" here is eucharisto. To the, we get our English Eucharist. It has to do with that which is freely and graciously given, like the Eucharist, the Mass in the Catholic Church. Just, just such a good attitude with it. He didn't do it with a bad attitude. So, uh, so Jesus then asked Simon, he says, which of these, verse 42... The one that had 40000 canceled or the one that had three or $4,000 canceled? Which will love him more? Verse 42. And Simon said, the one with the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. And it's as if that was enough to make Simon be quiet about this woman. Now, when we talk about loving God... How do we love God? Where does that love come from? 
is, uh, and remember, we're, we have to be careful with uh, Old Covenant, New Covenant, because in the Old Covenant, it's a command, but in the New Covenant, it's a supply. In the Old Covenant, it's a law, but in the New Covenant, it's, a, it's grace that comes and enables you to love. It's not you trying to reach into a dry cistern and pull up affection for the God you hardly know. It's, it's God pouring out His love and His Spirit into you and flowing back toward Him by the Spirit. Law and supply. Uh, so you have these stories then. And I want to point out three things that will help us love God. The first is that you'll find the girl, the woman here that's listed is forgiven. Who's going to love the most, Jesus said? The one forgiven the most. Now they'll both love, they'll both appreciate, but the one forgiven the most, the sinner. Now I think, honestly, that we're all sinners but some of us have a, a larger grasp of the depth of our depravity. Amen? Some of you, I think we're all pretty well people who are going to need grace to ever think we're going to get close to heaven. But some people have a better grasp of it. But we're all sinners. And we all had to have Jesus die for us. But as you look and focus on what God has done for you in Christ, it will stir your heart and cause love for God. Christians hear the gospel and it produces love for God. So the first thing here is forgiveness. Um, and I might just add this, that you notice down in verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say, who is this who even forgives sins? Remember that in first century Judaism and the Bible and in Jesus' day, there's, a, there's an outline on how, a pattern on how you get forgiveness. It wasn't difficult. Everybody knew how to do it. You get a sacrifice, a lamb, a goat. You go to the temple. And at the temple, you engage the priest. The priest helps you. You kill the sacrifice and you put it on the altar and it's burned on your behalf. It bears your guilt and your sin away. So everybody knew that. Um, in Deuteronomy 12, under the law of Moses, it says, verse Deuteronomy 12, 13, take care that you do not offer your burnt offering in any place you choose. You can't just go out there and have your own church. That's what Moses said. You can't get forgiveness anywhere you want. Be careful, he says, Deuteronomy 12, 13, that you do not offer burnt offerings and obtain forgiveness just anywhere you want. Well, here Jesus is in somebody's house. He's not at the temple. He's not making a sacrifice. And he is pronouncing forgiveness and bypassing the entire mosaic structure of the Old Testament. And so they're like, who is this that's forgiving sins? 
without a sacrifice and a priest in the temple. See, here's the thing. If you notice in Luke 7, in the first uh, 11, 10, 11 verses, uh, 10 verses, Luke 7, 1 to 10, Jesus heals a centurion servant from a distance. He pronounces him healed and he's healed. The second miracle is in Luke 10, verse 11 to 17. He meets a funeral procession, and it's a little boy uh, who's the only son of a widowed mother. And he raises that little boy from the dead and gives him back to his mother. So he's got a healing and a resurrection. Now he comes to this widow, uh, or to this uh, sinner woman, and she is pronounced forgiven apart from the temple and sacrifice and the priesthood. I think that is the apex of the chapter and the greatest miracle in the chapter. You know what? Matthew 12, Jesus actually made this statement. He said, a greater than the temple is here. What a statement is that? That's in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. I say to you, there is in this place one greater than the temple. That's enough to get you killed. That'll get you stoned to say you're greater than the temple. That's removing the entire Old Testament religion of Judaism and the Mosaic law and substituting yourself in its place. But he did. And so here he pronounces this woman forgiven. And let me just say that if you come to God through Jesus Christ... Anywhere, anytime, without any priest or rabbi or preacher. Amen. You don't even have to give to the offering. Hallelujah. You can get forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He bypasses it all. He, su- he substitutes for it all. Praise God for that. So here she is expecting judgment, but at some point in her life she had met Jesus and received forgiveness instead of judgment. And now she hears that he is there in the house of a Pharisee and it doesn't matter to her, she's going to go and she's going to listen to him teach because somewhere in the past she's met him and he's forgiven her sins. All right, let me point out a second thing. How do you love God? First, the experience of forgiveness creates a love for God. When you're expecting judgment and you get forgiveness instead. That surprising grace creates love for God. Second, uh, she gave no attention to her critics. Um, As she is there wiping his feet with her hair and occasionally leaning down and kissing the feet of the Son of God overwhelmed with his dignity and majesty, having some perception of who he is, she's worshiping. And there's this conversation going on between Jesus and the Pharisee. Jesus says, Simon, let me ask you, who would, who would love most, the one forgiven much or the one forgiven little? She's hearing this. She's not a... 
just, you know, like a fly on the wall or an irrelevant person there. She knows what they're talking about, and she knows they're talking about her. And yet, she continues to do what she's doing. She doesn't get distracted by a Pharisee's judgmentalism. Amen? Listen to what he says. Uh, Verse 39, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, and he said, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is. So he was thinking that. So she knew she's looked down on in the city. She knew she's going to the house of a Pharisee. But the presence of Jesus is worth getting to even, in, even if it's in the house of a hypocrite. Hallelujah. See, because people say that. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. Hey, you know what? This, this is a house of a Pharisee. I say that's a house of hypocrites. And she went and worshipped Jesus in the midst of it. You don't have to have a house full of Mother Teresa's in order to worship the Lord. Just don't get distracted. And I'll tell you something, if you want to go to church and you want to worship God and you want to serve God, at some point you're going to run into someone who's going to be critical of you or they're going to be judgmental or they're going to be hypocritical. And what I'm saying to you is follow the the pattern of this woman and don't get distracted by it. Amen? And in years from now, you'll still be worshiping God. So she gave no attention to her critics. And I wanted to uh, give you this little uh, story about when I first came uh, to the church years ago. This is 25 years ago on our location on Bristol Road. We had a lady who was a sweet lady. She'd just become a Christian before she came to our church. And uh, she, I had bad reports about her. So, and I don't know, I was kind of partially believed it, uh, but... Uh, she dressed provocatively. I'm like, whoa. When I first saw her, I'm like, whoa. Very tight, short skirts. Low blouse. It, one, one Sunday, she wore a see-through blouse. That's the truth. Finally, uh, one of the ladies came to me and said, uh, Pastor... This was after we had an altar call and she came and knelt at the altar dressed like that. So one of the ladies said, Pastor, you've got to go talk to her. I said, me? (laughs) Why do I have to talk to her? She said, well, you're the pastor. I said, I think you should go talk to her. So we discussed it a little bit and ultimately neither one of us talked to her. And you know... As we went on, I could tell her dress was changing. Her, her appearance was changing. And she continued to come. She was an immature Christian. And she sometimes dressed like an immature Christian. And acted like an immature Christian. And talked like an immature Christian. But she continued to come. And later moved away. And, uh, but I saw her about three or four years ago. This is like over 20 years later. Still in church. Introduced me to her husband. I was praising God because I thought there's a lady who didn't get distracted by others. Hallelujah. So I appeal to you on that today. See, because you're going to get offended at some point. 
I mean, we're a, we're a church of, with people, and we got problems. I, you know what? I even preach some stuff every once in a while that might offend you. And uh, if I do, you have to forgive me. And then I'll forgive you for being offended. <laughs> but here's what Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? In John 21, verse 15, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, follow me. And then Peter starts following Jesus. And he turned, and there was John that leaned on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. And he said, hey, uh, what about that guy? What, what happens to him? And Jesus said to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. So I don't know. We got, there just sometimes we have to leave people alone. Here's, the, here's what our, I want our church to do. I want our church to be like Ephesians 4.31 with tender hearts forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wow. You know how patient God is with you? How long he has waited for you to get some things worked out? How gracious he's been? How benevolent? How good? So Let's give each other some latitude. Amen? We'll leave that there. And she did not get distracted by the Pharisees' attitudes. One third thing. She began with faith. Look at verse 50. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Now, the tense of the word save indicates that it was a past time. Somewhere in time past, it's a perfect tense, it means it's back there in the past, your faith saved you. It's not talking about her faith right now. Now she has love. She's in this house expressing love. Jesus is not saying... Your faith right now has said, no, he's talking about a faith in the past. But she had faith before she came to that house. She met Jesus before she got there. Jesus is saying, back there in the past, your faith with with the present result, that faith has saved you. Go into the future in peace. Now, here's what I want to say. The beginning of love for God is faith in God. Don't begin with emotional attachment to the deity. Begin with simple faith. Here's what Hebrews 11 said. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would come to God must, what, love Him? No, believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. You come in faith in God. That is the seed of love. Love is ultimately the flower of faith. If you want to love God, start by trusting God. Believing his word. That's why Proverbs says, Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
lean not to your own understanding, or as one puts it, trust the Lord, don't trust yourself. You have his word, believe it, and when feelings are not there, trust him anyway, obey him anyway. Let the feelings catch up. Your feelings and your emotions are like your small children. They'll bounce all over the place. And if you let them control you, you'll be going to McDonald's every day looking for a Happy Meal. So don't let your feelings determine your church service, your Christian service, your worship, your walk with God. Get them in line. Discipline them when needed. But go in faith. He said, your faith, which you have had in the past and you have today has saved you. The beginning of this love event by which you express your devotion to me began at some point when you put your faith in me. So this precious lady found forgiveness, ignored the hypocrites, and at some point had begun in faith. This led to her love for Jesus Christ there in that Pharisee's house. That's what I want us to do. Love God. Love Him. Because without that, not, I mean, we've got great music. We praise God for that. We can love the music. But if we don't love God, it's not sufficient. We have wonderful preaching. Hallelujah. <laughs> but that's not sufficient. We must love God. Amen. We love the church. Y'all love each other. But you've got to love God. So may that be our experience in our prayer today. Bow with me as we pray. Father, we thank you today that you have loved us through Jesus Christ. We thank you today that in him and his majesty and glory and dignity, we can bypass all the Old Testament restrictions and religious structure and just go straight to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that this faith we have would issue forth into an adoration which pours itself out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. May our faith grow into love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.